0: We are open in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter one, continuing in our series Identity Issues, God's glory in us through Christ's work for us. And uh, in this series, we're going to turn a bit of a theological corner today. So this one's very important. If you've missed any of them or you haven't been here for them, uh, you can get them, you can download them for free online or or pick them up at the resource table. But you want to get those because this series kind of builds each lesson one upon the other. But we're turning an important theological corner today in our Identity issue series. And the title of today's message is God's Glory and Our Joy. Lord, we ask that in the preaching now, and in the listening, you would be supreme. Thank you that your word is living and active, that it's inerrant and infallible, that it pierces the very depth of who we are, and by the power of your Holy Spirit changes who we are. So change our realities today, God, by the preaching and the hearing of your word. We, we want to preach and listen as an act of worship unto you. It's a declaration of your absolute supremacy as a realization that we exist not for ourselves, but for your glory. And we ask that your glory would be present in this place. That you'd rule and reign. Holy Spirit, we ask together that you'd please anoint me to communicate your truth for the glory of Jesus Christ, that everything I say would be faithful to your scriptures and useful for the furtherance of your kingdom, and that we would be people that not only hear, but do, by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I mentioned, we've been talking about identity and and how we form it. We've been dealing with that age-old question, who am I? People have been asking that for as long as people have been around. Who am I? And the question is important because who we believe ourselves to be will shape and inform the way that we think. And so it will shape and inform the way that we feel. And so it will shape and inform the way that we act. The way that we act toward others and the way that we act toward God, most importantly. Because what we realize is that as people, we all live out of our sense of identity, who we see ourselves to be and shaping and informing our thoughts, feelings, and actions. We, we live out of our identity, our self-understanding. And the thing about that is this, identity is complex, isn't it? Because we're a lot of things. None of us is just one thing. We're a whole lot of things. There's a lot that is true about us with regards to our occupations, our callings, our talent, our race, our, our family. But what we're wanting to do in the series is we go verse by verse each week through the first chapter of Ephesians. What we're wanting to do in this series is strip away some of the complexity Of our identities, our self-understanding, and get to this. What is most true about us? That's what we're trying to get at through the scriptures. What is most true about us? What is and ought to be dominant in shaping how we think, feel, and act? And there's a few ways that humanity generally forms identity, and we've kind of touched on them throughout the weeks. But the first way that we generally form identity is through what we do. Okay, through what we do, we begin to think about ourselves and understand ourselves through what we do, either what we do well or what we fail to do or or what we fail at, right? We we see ourselves as experts in something or or excelling at something. So I'm an expert or or I'm the the top of the class or I'm I'm number one or or conversely, I'm I'm, I'm a screw up, I'm a mess up, I'm a loser, I'm last, but we often think about ourselves according to what we do. The second way that people often form identity is according to what we have. Either what we have or what we don't have. And life becomes, for many of us, especially in this materialistic, consumeristic culture, for many of us, it becomes about what we can attain. And that begins to, to, to be a driving factor in our lives, driving our behavior and our pursuits and our passions, what we can attain because what we realizes that stuff is no longer just stuff and possessions are not just possessions we try to find ourselves in them. We evaluate ourselves in the stuff that we accumulate. We look to find ourselves in our possessions. Both of those are failures and ways to think about identity and there's a third and final one. It, it, it's what we want. We often think about ourselves according to what we want or desire or, or what we don't want. In other words, how we feel, what we're passionate about, what we're attracted to. I, I, I always want alcohol, so I guess I'm an alcoholic. Or I'm attracted to him, so I, I guess I'm gay. And several of these things may be true in different combinations. You may be a talented, low-income gay. You may be a screw-up, wealthy alcoholic. You may be thinking about yourselves according to what you do, have, or desire. And what we together are realizing is that these are lesser ways, incorrect ways, to answer the question, who am I? What must be asked is who does God say that I am in light of what Christ has done for me? In pondering the age-old question, who am I? What must be asked is who does God say that I am in light of what Christ has done for me? This is how we discover what is most true about us. This is how we strip away some of the complexity of identity and self-understanding, how we think, feel, and act. Now there's a reason, this is an arbitrary, there's a reason that we must ask who God, in and through Christ, says that we are. The reason that we have to do that is because we are creatures, right? We, We were created. We are created beings. And created beings are contingent. And in other words, they only exist if... Created beings, which we are, are contingent and dependent upon God. That's what it means to be a creature. We're contingent and dependent upon God. We only exist because God made us, and we only continue to exist because God wills us to continue to exist. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Through Christ, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that we can't see. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all of creation together. He sustains all things by the power of his word, Hebrews 1-3 would say about Jesus. So think about it this way. Since we only exist and continue to exist because of God's work through Christ then we must look to God's work through Christ to understand who we are. We are creatures, contingent and dependent. The challenge that we face as humanity is our proclivity to either look inward or outward, inward to self or out to one another to form identity. We think of who we are in light of what I myself do, have, or desire. Looking inward for identity. Or I think about who I am in light of what others do, have, or desire. Looking outward for identity. But what we must do to answer the question, who am I, is look upward. We've got to look upward to God because we are creatures, contingent, independent upon God. So we look upward to understand ourselves. What has God done for me? What does God have for me? What does God desire for me? And that's what has been unfolded to us in Ephesians chapter 1. As we look now to the text in review, verses 3 through 8 that we've already covered, to remind ourselves, this is all praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace He has poured out on us who belong to His dear Son. He's so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave our sins. He has showered His kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Stop right there before we get to today's verse. If you are a Christian, meaning you've repented of your sins and put your faith in the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, if you are a Christian, then that, those verses, are what is most true about you. In light of anything else that might be true about you, according to what you do or have or desire, this is what is most true about you. To summarize, what is most true about you is that you are loved by, by God. That you are, we are, the beloved of God. That is our identity. Who who am I, humanity asks? For those of us that have repented of our sin and put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are, above and beyond everything else, the beloved of God. And as I said earlier, what we do with our self-understanding, what we do with identity, is we live out of, or we live according to, or we live in light of who we see ourselves to be. Or at least in this case, that's that's the way it ought to be. You see, the the process of Christian life is to begin to live out of the truth that we are the beloved of God. The process of the Christian life is to begin to live constantly with, to, according to this truth that we are the beloved of God. That's what Ephesians is going to go on to say. For example, in chapter 4, verse 1, where it says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, Paul speaking, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling for you've been called by God. Chapter 5 verse 1 will say to us, imitate God in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So the process of the Christian life is to learn to live out of the identity of loved by God god this is what philippians chapter 2 verses 12 and 13 are talking about where it says work out your salvation work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it's god who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure important phrase or for his good pleasure Work out your salvation. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean work for your salvation. We understand that. That's not what it says. That word work out would have been described to use a farmer in what he would have done with his land in ancient culture. Really, it's the idea of cultivate. Cultivate. Cultivate with fear and reverence toward God. What God has already done in you and is doing in you as his beloved child cultivate that begin to work out in the practicalities of your life what god has worked into you by the work of jesus christ on the cross that is a process of the christian life and what 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 that does then that point is transition us from the question that always follows who am i for humanity throughout time the question that has always followed who am i is why am i here It's always the next question. Why why am I here? What is the meaning and purpose of life? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to accomplish? What am I supposed to contribute in my time here on earth? And this question is answered by our verse for today, verse 9, where it says in Ephesians 1, 9, God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ. A plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. Here's how I want us to begin to think about this. As creatures, we are not only contingent and dependent, we are also subordinate. You get that? As creatures, as ones that the creator created, we're not only contingent, we not only exist because, right? we're not only dependent, continuing to exist because, but we are also subordinate to the Creator. The creation is always less than the Creator. To see it any other way is to be an idolater, right? Is to wrongly exalt self or anything else in creation. This is the problem that Romans chapter 1 deals with. And verse 9 tells us that even though God has done and has and desires wonderful things for His children. It's not about us. Even though God has done, is doing, and desires wonderful things for us, it's not about us. It is a plan regarding Christ, the text says. See, we often say God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. That is true, but here's what is more true. God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for his son, Christ And through faith and repentance, you've been brought into that plan. See, our text is the mysterious plan regarding Christ. Now, we'll endeavor to explore what that means next week, as verse 10 also hits on that. So so leave that part for now, a mysterious plan regarding Christ. We'll talk about that next week. But it goes on to say, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. It's not about us. The plan is about Christ. Christ. And it's not for our good pleasure. It's for God's good pleasure. We're, we're so egocentric. We think that everything is about us and everything exists to please us. And scriptures are saying it's, it's not all these wonderful things, though they're true of you and they've been done for you because God loves you. It's not about you. Plan to fulfill his own good Pleasure. Because as we read in Colossians 1.16, all things were created by him and for him. All things were created by him and for him. We, you and I, we, we exist for God's pleasure and glory. That's why he made us. That's why we continue to have breath. We exist for God's pleasure and for God's glory and not our own. And failing to realize this is precisely where everything in humanity has gone wrong. We try to, humanity as a whole throughout history, and you and I together daily, we try to live for our own pleasure. We try to live for our own glory. And it could never be right because we are creatures. It will never work. It will never be right because we are contingent, dependent, and subordinate. So it never works out when we try to live for our own pleasure and for our own glory because we are less than and we were not made for ourselves. This is why we've been calling our our studies through Ephesians chapter 1 identity issues, God's glory in us through Christ's work for us. You see, once we settle our identity issues and we stop forming our self-understanding according to what we do well or where we fail, what we have or don't have, what we desire or don't desire, and begin to base it on God in Christ and what he has done for us and has for us and what he desires for us, then we start to live for God's glory. Because, hear me on this, in all love and compassion, the only thing salient about us, apart from Christ's work for us, is that we are desperate, broken, rebels, and sinners. The only thing of any substance about us, apart from Christ's work for us, is we are desperate, broken, rebels, and sinners. But because of who God is, And what Christ has done for us, we are called, in this text now, new identity, loved and chosen. Holy and adopted. Redeemed and forgiven. Blessed and graced. And what the human heart does with that, at some point, it just says, why? And if we're not careful, it begins to say, for me. Because of me. But what what our text pushes us to realize today is it has everything to do with who God is and what he wants, not who we are. It has everything to do with who God is and what he wants. It's a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure because there's nothing good about us as sinners apart from Christ and nothing we could ever do to change that plight as we've talked of previously. I want us to hear it the way Moses told it to Israel because Israel was also the elect of God. Israel was also chosen and blessed of God. And I want you to hear how Moses gave it to Israel. That we might begin to think upon it. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, Moses said to Israel, after the Lord your God has done this for you, don't say in your hearts, the Lord has given us this land because we're such good people. no. It's not because you are so good or have such integrity. You must recognize that the Lord your God has not given you this good lamb because you are good. For you are not. You're a stubborn people. You see, I like the way Moses says it. We need to think that way. Though tremendous good has been done to us because of the love of God through the work of Christ. It is not because we're good, it's precisely because we're wicked that we require the goodness of God. It is only through Christ that we are loved because we were unlovely in our rebellion. It's only through the work of Christ that we are chosen because we were rejected and condemned. It's only through the work of Christ that we are holy because we were evil and dirty. It is only through the work of Christ that we've been adopted because we were lost and abandoned. That we've been redeemed because we were slaves to sin. That we've been forgiven because we were guilty before God. That we've been blessed because we were under the curse. And that we have been graced because we were so undeserving. And God did all of this for us in and through Christ's work, his mysterious plan regarding Christ, for his own good pleasure. God did all of this for us, through Christ, for his own good pleasure and for his glory. God said to the nation of Israel through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 43, 7, Bring all who claim me as their God. Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. There's the answer. Why am I here? I have made them for my glory. Therefore, we live out of this new identity as loved, chosen, holy, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, blessed in grace for, we live out of, for God's glory and pleasure. How do we work out, cultivate what God has done in us? For God's pleasure and glory. Because that is why we are created and sustained. So the question of why am I here is answered in this statement historically for Christianity based on Scripture. The larger Westminster Catechism. Question one. The question is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is to glorify God and fully enjoy Him forever. Why why am I here? What's it all about? What am I supposed to do and accomplish? Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You see, I realize that life like identity is more complex. There's all these other things you have to do. Mom, dad, businessman, broken person, sick person. All these other things you're concerned about. But the chief end of it all, the main point of it all, the answer to why why I'm here is to glorify God and fully enjoy Him forever. To begin to live out of that identity as a beloved child of God. If we were created for God's good pleasure, here's where we get to sanctification, if we were created for God's good pleasure, then we should live in a way that pleases God rather than grieves God. Ephesians will go on to say in chapter 4 verse 30, Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own. You are his. So don't bring sorrow to God according to the way that you live. First Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. There's the working out, the cultivating of the Christian life. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, figure out how to do it to the glory of God. First Corinthians 6, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? who lives in you and who was given to you by God. You don't belong to yourself. Identity, as creature, contingent, dependent, subordinate. You don't belong to yourself, for God bought you with a great price. You're you're twice his. He made you and he bought you. He redeemed you. So you must honor God with your body. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good deeds and glorify. Father, who is in heaven, live before the world in such a way that people will look and give glory to God, because that's why you were made for God's glory. Jesus said in John fifteen, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings glory to my Father. That's when you're you're fulfilling your destiny, if you want to use that sort of language. It's when you're being who you were created to be, is when we bring glory to the Father. In Colossians three twenty three says so about our work, work willingly at whatever you do, as though you're working for the, for the Lord rather than for people. And what you do in your mothering, and your fathering, in your work, in your labor, in your mission, and your calling, in your business, in your endeavor, in your entrepreneurialship, do it as for the Lord instead of for people. Be, be, be called to a higher calling Begin to realize that there's a bigger purpose than just going through these motions. I saw someone in, in the hardware store the other day. A friend of mine was in the hardware store in Carpentria. And I said, Hi man, how's it going? You know, he said, How you doing? How you doing? Those pleasantries. And I said, How you doing? He goes, Oh, plugging along. And I, I, I don't I don't at all fault the man for saying that. I love I love this guy. He's he's a friend. But it just, in my heart, as I reflected on it, just, it just grieved me. I'm not faulting him. I'm just saying his humanity that we fall into this thing of just plugging along. I, and I, I, I've been praying for him since then. And then the other day, I heard my wife on the phone talking to someone. And I heard her say, oh, just plugging along. And again, I'm, I'm not faulting my wife because she would kill me if I did so publicly. <laughs> I'm just saying there's a possibility of more than just plugging along. There's a possibility of living for the pleasure and the glory of God, whether we eat or drink or work, whatever we do, do it to the glory of God so that as grateful and dependent creatures, we can live in a brand new way, not for ourselves. We've been saved from idolatry. We've been saved from egocentric self-centeredness to live for the glory of God. But here's, here's a closing thought on that. Doing this, living for God's pleasure and for God's glory, does not only consist of doing the right things and refraining from the bad things. If we just sort of just narrow it down to that, we, we've really missed it. It's not just about not doing bad things or doing the right things and living for his pleasure and his glory. Remember, the way that Christianity thinks about the chief end of man is to glorify God and... Fully enjoy him forever. Okay? I want you to catch that phrase. To fully enjoy him forever. The two are not mutually exclusive. Okay? Listen, those of you that might be grumpy Christians. The the two are are not mutually exclusive. It's not glorify God and sometimes enjoy him. This is this is in my mind two ways of saying the same thing. Glorify God and fully enjoy. Listen to the word enjoy, Christian. Enjoy. What does that mean? You know what that means. Enjoy. <laughs> Glorify God and fully enjoy him forever. Or the way that we say it here Reality all the time, enjoy Jesus. Right? That's one of our mantras. Enjoy Jesus. This is what we are supposed to do. Hear me on this existing as God's beloved children for God's pleasure and glory does not mean that we are to live lives void of pleasure. Existing for God's pleasure and God's glory does not mean that our lives are to be void of pleasure. Please, God God is not a cosmic killjoy. (laughs) God is not a heavenly Scrooge. May I be so bold as to say, God actually wants us content and happy. Our Heavenly Father who loves us and gave His Son for us actually wants us content and happy. Now, of course, there must be a qualifying statement that goes with that and it would be this. But but we are not to exalt the pursuit of those things, contentment and happiness. We're not to exalt the pursuit of those things over and above the pursuit of Jesus himself and his glory. There's, there's the secret to the whole world. Because we remain as creatures. Once we stop looking for meaning in what we do and what we have and what we desire... And we find meaning in what God has done for us in Christ and what we have in Christ and what God wants for us in Christ. Once we stop looking inward to discover who we are and look upward as creatures to God, then we can begin to enjoy things more and need them less. That's, that's a slice of freedom right there. Once our identity is about God and what he's done for us for his own glory in Christ. Then we can begin to enjoy things more and need them less. And relationally, this is good news, we can enjoy people more and need them less. Because we don't need their validation anymore. We don't need them to feel okay about us. We don't need to justify our existence before them. Because we're justified at the cross of Jesus Christ. The love of God for us was proven. And we repented of our sins and put our faith in Christ we are given the right to be called children of God, the beloved of God. And so being then content in Christ and his work for us, we can hear now with really good ears, we can hear what Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy six seventeen. He actually wrote it to those in the congregation. He said, God richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment. God has given us the rest of creation for our enjoyment. Of course, there's some caveats. I know some of you that smoke pot will come up to me afterwards and be like, see, I knew it. God gave me pot for my enjoyment. I hear it all the time. I used to say the same thing. I'm just not sure that's what's meant in this verse. But I do know this. God actually wants you to enjoy him by enjoying his gifts. God wants you, he wants us as Christians to learn to enjoy him. Fully enjoy him forever. To enjoy him by learning to enjoy his gifts. I'll I'll say it again. God desires his creatures to be happy as well as holy. He desires his creatures, his children, to be satisfied as well as sanctified. So that living for the glory of God and fully enjoying him forever are not mutually exclusive. It's not as though you're either sanctified or you're satisfied. You can't have both. You're either holy or you're happy, but you can't have both. No, 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 no. God wants us, by the work of Christ, to be holy and happy. Satisfied and sanctified. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. You see, some of us have the sense that glorifying God means to deny ourselves of material things. This sort of asceticism. And if I'm, I'm going to be holy, I'm really going to glorify God, then I can't be stained by anything in the world. So I can't enjoy any of it. Others of us, on the other hand, think that life consists of material things in their enjoyment. But you see, the gospel and our new identity brings balance to our wrong thinking. It brings us to the conclusion that we have been reconciled to God who is a radical giver. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. We've been reconciled to a God who is a radical giver and we can now enjoy him. And I'll say this, one of the ways that we enjoy him is by enjoying his gifts. You're not hearing me. One of the ways, we what does it mean to enjoy Jesus? One of the ways that we enjoy him is by enjoying fully his gifts. Because we're not looking for ourselves in our stuff anymore. We're not trying to find ourselves in our successes or our failures anymore. We're not the sum of our desires and our passions, good and perverted anymore. Identity is settled. For God's glory and because of Christ's work for us, we're just the beloved kids of God. And He gives us good gifts. And the way that we enjoy Jesus is by enjoying fully what He's given us. Foremost of all, of course, here the caveat is to enjoy Christ. One of the books that we have in our, at our resource table is God is the Gospel by John Piper is one of our fe- featured resources a few months back. God is the gospel. The point of the book is is this. What we gain most through the gospel is God himself. Christ died once and for all the godly for the ungodly that he might bring us to God. We have gained relationship with God. So he becomes the chief pursuit of our lives. How do we do that? The things we talked about last week, scripture, prayer, community, Stuff we talked about. But God will see to it that we can never be content and happy apart from Him. We were created for Him. And our hearts are joyless until they find joy in Him. This is what humanity's been learning throughout history over and over again. We are created for him and our hearts are joyless until we find joy in him. Almost 3,000 years ago, the preacher in Ecclesiastes said this, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? And a woman Wrote this poet about poem, excuse me, about five hundred years ago. Listen to this. Just these two words he spoke, speaking of God, changed my life. Enjoy me. What a burden I thought I was to carry, a crucifix as he did. Love once said to me, I-, "I know a song. Would you like to hear it?" And laughter came from every brick in the street and from every pore in the sky. After a night of prayer, he changed my life when he sang, enjoy me. You see, if God has saved us for his own glory through the work of Christ, for his own good pleasure, if he saved us for his own good pleasure, then it stands to reason that he delights in us. That he enjoys us. Zephaniah 3.17, I'll just read it to you. For the Lord your God is living among you. He's a mighty savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. If God saved us and redeemed us with the precious blood of Christ for his own good pleasure, then surely it means that God in Christ delights in us. Then we could say that it must please and glorify God when we delight in him. That is why he says, enjoy me. That is why he says, come away with me. That is why we hear the refrain in the Song of Solomon, I am my beloved and he is mine. It pleases and glorifies God when we enjoy him through Christ. And maybe you've been looking for enjoyment and meaning in what you do or in what you haven't done and what you have or have failed to attain and what you desire, holy or profane. But now you've heard that ultimate meaning is in what God has done for you and what God has for you and what God desires for you in and through Jesus. So the call for you today is to come to Jesus. Repent of your sins that have separated you from God. Put your faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross to pay the price for your sins, to bring you back to God that you finally, that you finally might discover who you are and why you're here for the glory of God and for his own good pleasure, he wants to save you. Lord, thank you for this incredible truth. And we pray together right now for anyone in this room who has never repented of their sins and put their faith in what you did for them in their place on the cross. We ask that they do it right now. In their own hearts. They might be saying, God, I, I I don't get all of this, but I know I need you. I know I'm separated by my sins. I know I know I'm wrong. I want to be forgiven and be made right. Lord, as they're saying that in their hearts, even this morning, would you flood them with your grace and your mercy? Would you tangibly, discernibly wash them white as snow? Would you fill their hearts with peace in place of regret, with joy in place of sorrow, with hope in place of fear? Thank you for that, Lord. And for those of us that already know you, teach us to enjoy you, Jesus. Teach us by your Holy Spirit to enjoy you and who you are. Show us how to cultivate so great a salvation. Surely you're at work in us to will and to work for your own good pleasure. So bring your pleasure about in our lives, God, for your glory. Prayer team is up here to my right my left if you need anything. Communion is here to remember and celebrate the cross. And let's get on our faces on the carpets front and back before such a good God.